I talk to dead people, though, all the time at work. You thought that was weird? Harder, faster. <laughs> By the time we were done, I was stripping layers of clothes off. We better either call this or save this woman. I'm about to be naked in here. And these poor med students singing to them. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. The idea of this podcast is to probe into the minds of medics and sort through what makes them tick. But in this episode, I took the recommendation of a medic who said I should interview a nurse. She's an ER nurse and a flight nurse, and she's married to a paramedic, so I thought her perspective was a unique one. As we get into the episode, you will get to hear who I came to realize was sitting in front of me. She's a strong mind. She's a small tattooed body with a killer mama spirit inside that she brings out as needed. And trust me when I say you want her on your side. And to all the medics listening, this nurse has your back. Listen as we jump right in. You've got a house full of kids, and thanks for making a little bit of space for me today and inviting me into your home. I appreciate it's kind of fun. it. It's different. Can you tell me where you work now? And then I'll probably start there and then go backwards. I work in a hospital ER setting. Mm -hmm. That's my full-time gig. And then part-time, I work on the helicopter as a nurse. When I first started flying, I actually got hired for that job. And then I found out that I was pregnant. And I was like, this is going to interfere. My boss over there was like, well, I don't care. I mean, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother you. Yeah. And, and so I worked a lot at the beginning as much as I could. This is new and I need to get good at it. And I didn't have the baby running around. And so I worked as much as I could, even though I was pregnant and I was growing and growing and my flight suits were growing. <laughs> but then after she was born... I was on maternity leave. It was hard for me to work as much. I had to study on my off time, be proactive about it. It's easier at the hospital for me to step back into it because I've been doing that for longer. And that's my, my everyday mindset. So now I'm curious, did you work on the aircraft until you delivered? Yes, actually, my last shift that I flew, we had a really busy day and I was big pregnant. She was born three weeks later. And my partner that night, every time we'd get a call, he'd be like, please don't have the baby in the helicopter. <laughs> now you have a baby in the helicopter. And if I deliver her, I get to name her. Oh my God, please get us to the hospital just in case. <laughs> then how did you decide to stop flying? My doctor really encouraged me to stop because I was starting to dilate and she was like, I this see. is your fourth baby. Like, I really uh, don't okay. want you to be in the air with the pressure changes and everything. And basically put a partner in that situation. Okay, I can get on board with that. I think it was probably a good decision. I mean, I was having to climb into the helicopter head first. <laughs> I couldn't get in any other way. I love that. When I was in labor and delivery, it was really the first time I'd really been a patient as an adult. Mm -hmm. On that day, I learned the value of a good nurse. And I didn't fully appreciate it until then. I really felt like she was right there with me the whole time. And yeah. I'm sure she was going in and out. I bet she had more than one patient. I didn't feel that way. How did you decide to do emergency medicine? Funny, because we keep talking about L&D. That's actually what I always <laughs> wanted to do. When I'm done with the ER, that's where I'm going to retire to. My personality is just screams emergency medicine. I've always been kind of a limit pusher. and I like the autonomy that it has. And I like the relationships that we have with the doctors and the other mm -hmm. nurses, the camaraderie, and just that feeling of we're a team, we're a family, and we're getting this shit done. That really just speaks to who I am as a person. And I don't think I would be happy somewhere else. I feel like it gives me the opportunity to constantly be changing and learning and growing that you don't necessarily have other places. The mm -hmm. only other place that I feel like you maybe have 
that same mental Olympics is the ICU, and I just I would not do well there. It's too quiet and it is quiet. myopic. I can't have that. The labor and delivery thing, I, I don't know why I keep talking about it either, but... Because we were just playing with a baby. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> a really cute baby. The nurse definitely needs to connect with the patient, right? There's yeah. a lot of coaching. Does a nurse need to connect on the same level in an emergency room? I think that it behooves us to, but I think that it's much more difficult sometimes. People don't always want to hear what you're saying. They don't always like the solution that you're giving them. They can be really closed off to you. Our job is dealing with people on the worst day of their life. It can be hard to connect with that sometimes. I feel like it takes time and experience to really develop empathy, to find a way to connect with them. Because it may not be anything you've ever experienced or ever gone through. You may have no commonality with them. But to try and find a commonality can be challenging sometimes. I was wondering if it's hard to connect with them because of them, or is it hard to connect with them because it hurts you? I think it can be both, really. I always tell newer nurses in the ER, I'm like, you have to learn how to erase the tape when you walk out the door. Because if you carried every experience, if you really let yourself be a part of all of these patients... That's a lot of burden to carry. We would go crazy. Right. And it's the same thing in the field. Some people have an outlet. My walk from that door to my car, especially if I've had a bad night, is just deep breaths. And I always try to walk out with somebody that makes me laugh or changes my way of thinking. Or we can talk about something silly or funny that happened throughout the night. So by the time I get home, that's not coming in the house with me. I have to leave that there just like I have to leave this here. When you say a bad night, what does a bad night mean? Oh, God. You lose a patient or it's just really like balls to the wall busy and we're stacking people in the hallway and we're emergency room nurses. We have bad attitudes a lot of the time, you know, like you might have conflict with another nurse and Uh, then, you know. Here's my take on ER nurses. They don't have bad attitudes. They have strong attitudes. You know them quickly. They are big personalities. Sometimes there's new people who come in and they're like, people are not being nice to me. And I'm like, you got to just put your big girl pants on. It's not that we're not being nice. Some of my best friends I've worked with, and we have yelled at each other in rooms before. When we walk out of that room, they're still my friend. We're all here for the same purpose. We don't all do things the same way. Mm -hmm. And we butt heads a lot. Doesn't mean we don't like each other. So yesterday I had a ER rotation with two students and they got to do CPR for the first time. Mm -hmm. The nurse running the code just kept telling them, it was like two big dudes, my students. And he kept saying, y'all have got to push harder. You've got to push faster. It was very blunt and direct. I was curious how the students were going to digest all of that. If it was going to be hard the rest of the shift or it was going to bruise them a little bit. They were okay. They took it pretty well. You've got to be able to take criticism mm-hmm. as much as you have to be able to take praise. We had a code not that long ago, and it actually was a call that kind of sits with me. Like, I still think about this patient and mm-hmm. the situation and... We were not able to get her back. And I actually kind of have my own process with dealing with patients when we lose them. We had med students who were trying to do compressions. And I was a secondary in the room. And there was another nurse in there with me. We were going back and forth between pushing meds and helping with compressions because we had these students. And I can remember at one point, she was a med student. And she was just the tiniest thing. And her compressions were just, oh, my God. There's no way we're going to get this lady back with these. I started tapping on her back. Every time you feel my hand, push, tap, tap. Mm-hmm. And the other nurse started going harder, faster. 
<laughs> by the time we were done, I was like stripping layers of clothes off because it was so hot in the room. And like, we better either call this or save this woman. I'm about to be naked in here. And these poor med students singing to them. And it was probably a horrible experience for them. But we were like, oh, just another day in the ER. You right. know, these two students of mine were getting it from more than one person. Yeah. So the medic that had brought in the patient. They had gotten ROSC and then lost pulses again. And the medic turned on a metronome on his phone and held it right behind him, similar to you tapping. And it was loud enough that it helped them get the cadence. So um, I'm interested in the, the connection to the patients because it's such a, a fine line because if you connect, they can hurt you emotionally. And if you don't connect, they're missing that piece of the care. Let's say you have a really salty patient. Those are my favorite. I kind of suspected that <laughs> might be the case. I would expect that of an experienced provider because you've gotten your head wrapped around it. Mm -hmm. But to an inexperienced provider, somebody that might be listening, what's your thought process when you walk in and you're like, oh, you're going to be a salty one? I have to turn my witty charm on because Mm -hmm. that's the the fastest way into them. If you give them a little bit of what they're giving you back, you get their respect a lot faster. I think it infuriates them to have somebody weak, you know, when they're, oh yeah, you know, Uh uh-huh. Maybe not all the time. Maybe they don't think that deeply about it. And it just seems that way to me. These people really talk to us like that. But I kind of have a little bit of that grit in me. I'm not going to take that from you. And so that became like a real easy thing for me to deal with. And now I kind of get enjoyment out of them. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love those grumpy old men. So you work pre-hospital. But before we talk about you working out out of hospital medicine, I still want to talk about you being an ER nurse and how you interface with paramedics or EMTs Mm -hmm. that come in. So a question that is high on my list, if you're taking a radio report from EMS daily, what's information that's useful when communicated to you? I like to know how old this person is. That plays into my thinking about their disease process or what might be going on or what we might have to do. Or a 75-year-old female who has upper abdominal pain is going to stay in our higher acuity area because that could be cardiac related, whereas a 20-year-old is going to go to the other side. I would say the biggest area of deficit, usually almost always related to trauma patients. So do I need to get a surgeon here or do I just need to make sure that I have a couple of extra hands in the room? And sometimes that's a really fine line. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have just the right information, I'm kind of left like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I need to page this out or I guess I'll just have it ready. I mean, I'm not afraid to go back on the radio and be like, hey, guys, I need a set of vitals because sometimes just a blood pressure or a pulse will push them over the edge. Sometimes you won't get clear mechanism. They'll be like, well, they have a, a stab wound here and did they get stabbed with a pocket knife or a steak knife sometimes i don't get vital signs and if they say we're trying to get them or we haven't been able to get a blood pressure that's a legitimate reason not to have one but if you just don't tell me then i need that information Mm -hmm. i need a gcs Mm -hmm. if this is a person who fell and hit their head what's their gcs they do their best and i understand you're scrambling to get the patient here especially if it's something significant little things can make a big difference I've found that level of consciousness is one of the hardest things to communicate to somebody that can't see the patient. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to articulate in words what you're seeing. Let's say you're the flight nurse calling into a hospital and you need to tell them about somebody who's not unresponsive, but groggy. Do you describe their behaviors? Do you give a GCS number? Yeah, we usually will give a GCS number, but then I always try to follow up with the patient is oriented, but lethargic. Or he's moving, but he's not really responding to us. I know in my own charting, I'm, I always say like self changes in position. They're moving everything, 
they just might not be all there up here, you know? So I try to like give some kind of clarification, even if it's not real in depth, just the person on the other end kind of has an idea. Okay. Where are their points coming off of that GCS scale? So that's a radio report. How about handoff reports? I think there's more deficit on the nursing side than the medic side. From my experience in handoff reports, I think medics are really good about who's going to be taking care of this patient. Is this your patient? Perfect. I'm going to give you a report. And they're really good about, you know, when the doctor walks in, they'll even be like, I'll give my whole report again because now there's a doctor here. You know, I would say 99% of the time they're always very polite and they're articulate. You run into more nurses who are like, yeah, I don't need your report. I can talk to the patient. Well, it's Mm -hmm. just kind of rude. They have been with this person for the last 10 to 30 minutes and Mm -hmm. have, they've seen the environment on the other end, which can sometimes factor into, they actually witnessed the mechanism of injury. What they have to say is important. Don't dismiss them. That I find troublesome. It also really bothers me when newer nurses question the medics about, oh, why didn't you get an IV on this patient? Nurses have a hard time thinking about what it's like outside of the hospital. I think it's easier for the medics because they step into our world and the nurses don't step out. The person that suggested that I interview you, Mm -hmm. it it just occurred to me, like, I should have asked him, like, why are you, why are you saying she'd be a good person to talk to for the podcast? And he said, she just gets it. I'm like, okay, but tell me exactly, like, what do you mean by that? Like, he's like, well, because she works in both environments. He said, of all the nurses I've ever handed off to, I feel like when I'm talking to her, she just gets it. Well, that makes me feel good. I hope they all feel like that because I really love what I do. And I really have the utmost respect for the medics. When they first get there, don't interrupt them. Don't talk over them. I'll always say, you know, hey, what's up to my mm-hmm. patient, especially if they're awake and oriented. Then my attention, while I'm eyeballing my patient, my ears are shifted back to this other person who is doing the same job that I am in a different environment, in my mind, even though, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit different. And what they have to say, we're all here for the same thing. It's a handoff of care. If I was giving a report to a nurse on the floor and she completely ignored me or didn't listen to what I was saying and was jumping over me and asking me questions before I even had a chance to get there, when I hang up the phone, I'm like, Jesus, man, like, listen to what I'm saying, you know. I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said EMS comes into the hospital world, but it doesn't go the other direction. Yeah. I really think that they should make all new ER nurses do write outs. That's kind of cool. What can a paramedic do while they're with a patient that you're going to get? What can they do to make your life easier? I can ask it in a negative way and say, is there anything medics do that makes your work harder? But I wanted to ask Like when they piss the patient off before they get there. So, okay, you know, sometimes, most of the time that's not the case. But every now and then there's just a patient that, did you guys crank their dial up before you walk through the door? (laughs) You know, like don't push their buttons. I want to push their buttons. (laughs) I don't want them to come in pissed off because now I got to talk them down. We've experienced that as students and as a preceptor in the ER. You guys have somebody finally calm down and mm-hmm. I'm about to go in just to talk to them. And the nurse is like, please don't. <laughs> like we yeah. <laughs> just got them quiet. Yeah. Can you talk about things you do to de-escalate somebody who's agitated, a patient who's agitated? How do you get them to calm down besides meds? Sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm more of an instigator myself. <laughs> For me, I know one of the nurses always tells me, when you go in that room and you turn on, you don't blink. I become very assertive. Well, does it work? I mean, does it yes. help to calm For me, down? it does. A lot of times the patients will just be like, oh, shit. Is there anything that could walk into the door of your ER that still scares you? 
Hmm. I mean, there's definitely things that come in where I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this because I don't feel like I'm super confident taking care of them. I know I'm not alone. That's the whole team aspect of being in the ER. I don't really like cardiac patients a whole lot. As nurses, we're not really that good at reading EKGs and it's kind of a deficit for us. Pre-hospital has done it for us and then the doctors are right there and they step in and so some weird cardiac thing, oh, I don't want to do this right now. I do it, right. but that's my least favorite scenario. Not like an MI or that's pretty yeah. straightforward. You know, mm-hmm. we know what we give. We wrap them up. We get them to cath lab. Somebody who comes in and they're being paced because I right. don't do it all the time. Or sure. It's not like every day that we have that. So I'm like, oh, okay, let me just go over and look at the monitor for a minute, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So that brings me to the curriculum for nurses versus paramedics. The initial education for a nurse is comprehensive, covers all body systems, Mm -hmm. includes things like oncology or what we might talk about for one lecture, a nurse would get a little bit more of. The converse to that is that a paramedics education, they'll spend a whole semester on cardiology, whereas the nurse got the equivalent amount of cardiology as they did oncology. For the paramedic, it redistributes, it adds up the column for respiratory and cardiac. Well, I feel like that has a lot to do with the fact that those systems, they're the systems that you guys have the most ability to fix pre-hospital. What are you going to do for a cancer patient? Maybe some pain management or whatever their symptoms are. It's like symptom management. But if somebody has a weird cardiac issue and you're out there, that probably needs to be addressed rapidly. And you guys have the ability to address them. So it's really important that you really understand them. I'm going to say this and this sounds terrible. Nursing school really does not prepare you how to be a nurse. It's basic, wide sweeping knowledge and about a lot of stuff that you might never see because our jobs are have become at this point very specialized. And so you don't learn how to be a nurse in your specialty until you've graduated from nursing school and you're working. You learn how to do everything in your setting. Because there's so much you might need to know as a mm-hmm. nurse because you can go into so many different areas. Right. Where I'm going with all of this is that it's it's become a cliche, cats and dogs or us versus them, nurses versus medics. But I think we're off track. We're comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. I don't really like that culture yeah, of either. us versus them. We should feel more similar to them. It's not like they're handing off to a nurse on the floor who has no understanding. I mean, we all have the same end game. They have the patient for like 30 minutes. Let's be honest. We don't really want to have the patient for more than an hour before we want to kick them out to the next place. You know, our jobs are really similar, but we should have some respect for the fact that they're out there. It's just them and their partner. Mm -hmm. We have all of this stuff to fall back on. So when you question, why didn't they do this? Or why didn't they do that? There's two of them. You can just call out of the door. Hey, somebody go get this for me. And it's, it's done. On the flip side, I don't like that they feel like nurses or I don't know, whatever they feel about nurses, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the negative thing that somebody would say about a nurse is that they're not making independent decisions, which I disagree with in the ER, in the emergency room. You guys are. Yeah. I've worked at hospitals before where you don't have as much decision-making even in the ER. The doctors are like, why did you do that? I didn't order that. But where I work that's part of the reason that I love it there. Like, I can't imagine working somewhere else. Our relationship with the doctors is so fluid and revolving. And when you've been there for an extended period of time and they know you and they trust you and they know what your skill set is, there is a lot of independent decision making 
going on to the point where where they're busy, I can I can initiate care for that yeah. patient because I can eyeball what I think might be going on with mm-hmm. them and get things started for them. When we have patients who are waiting, we can initiate care for them. We mm-hmm. can have their labs ready. We can send them for radiology. Now, by the time they see a doctor, they already have results in the computer. It actually makes their stay faster. So we have to be able to make those decisions. Is there anything you wish EMS understood better about the ER? Unless it's a slow night, we're literally on our feet walking for 12 straight hours, Mm -hmm. running from room to room. And that demanding patient that you dropped off that was driving you crazy, I now have him and these other two patients, and that one's on a vent, and this one's on a drip. And I have to deal with that guy yelling at me, all while I'm overseeing this new nurse over here who has three patients of their own and needs to come to me, which I'm more than happy helping them and pointing them in the right direction. And it's like a little circus in your head sometimes. Sometimes when you can like see a little bit of frustration on their face. I'm always very apologetic because I understand their position also, but I wish that they could sometimes feel what it's like to have that pressure on you and not have even just the five minutes that you're getting a drink of water. Sometimes I work 12 hours and don't pee. I learned so much doing these rotations with the students, these switching gears that you guys have to do. Mm-hmm. I watched a physician work a code. I took the students off. We kind of talked about it. And we came around the corner. And this physician was already in another room doing a pelvic exam. They were yeah. they were moving on. Be working a code in one room. And then you come out and you're, there's a patient at the desk. And you're like, oh, you wanted some ice water? Hold on <laughs> one second. Let me just wash my hands. <laughs> that brings me to something that I was curious about is how do you f- flush that stuff not between patients but when you leave you're talking about the walk out yeah to the car we'll walk out together there's always somebody with you it's very rare that i walk out by myself there's always something that happens in the course of the night that is humorous there's never not a humorous moment there's always that one patient that brings some levity to the situation mm-hmm. And you just kind of go back to that moment. And then by the time I get home, I've had my car ride home. I usually listen to like louder music on the way home, like social distortion or ACDC or something Mm -hmm. that just makes me feel like I expel energy. And then when I get home, I play with my baby. If you were going to work tomorrow, would you rather be going to the hospital or to the aircraft? Pretty much everybody I know that works on the aircraft has a second job Mm -hmm. because it keeps that stuff up for them. You might work a shift where you have no patience. Right. They always call me the weather cloud because every time I go to work, it, we have a storm. And they're like, yes, we're not flying today. <laughs> I still really love being at the hospital. I love the pace of it. I guess someday I'll want to leave there, but not any day soon. That's my home. The aircraft is really fun for me. And it's different. And I love my partners. And I get to think in a different way. Mm-hmm. And because we do transport a lot of ICU patients. And I don't work in the ICU at and I like being on the scene because I, when we have seen calls, it gives me perspective when I'm in the hospital. But I love being in the hospital. I'm going to ask a really broad question. That's who's in charge. My husband and I were just having this conversation this morning. When we go to a hospital and we're transporting a patient, those nurses, they eyeball me from across the room. And they don't want to talk to the medic. Oh, yeah. You're a nurse. I'm a nurse. Let's do this. And I'm like, hey, what about him? And they're like, he can move the patient. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. That's not really how it goes because I don't treat the medics like that. They're my partner. Mm-hmm. We have a different background. We come with a different thing. When we go on a scene call, the medics automatically see the RN behind my name and they like scan for my partner. 
I look pretty cute in my flight suit, but they don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to him. (laughs) And I'm fine with that. Depending on who I'm working with, I'm going to kind of follow their lead on a scene. That's Mm -hmm. their expertise. That's their field. They know more than me about being in that, that world, the lingo that the other medics might use and a back and forth with them that I'm not privy to. Right. I'm like the stepsister. And when we go to the hospital, it's kind of in reverse. So I've never met you before. I don't, no. I don't think in person. I don't think so. I may have seen you. You come off as really well adjusted, okay. right? Like you have a sense of humor. I think you have to. <laughs> you seem settled in your own skin. Well, one of the things I'm interested in is in a lot of these conversations, even when I'm not directing it in this direction, it will start going towards unhappy things or things that are maladjusted with their work in particular. So I'm I'm thrilled to talk to you like, what's the secret sauce? I don't know. And working in emergency medicine, where's the resilience? Where did it come from? What is that? For me, Mm -hmm. I feel like I have, of my own, you know, doing, have encountered a lot of obstacles in my life. I had amazing parents, great family. I mean, people used to call us the Waltons when I was a kid. And I've never even seen that show, but I assume... (laughs) It's probably pretty American pie. Mm -hmm. And my parents would literally bend over backwards and stand on their heads if they thought that it was going to make my life easier. And because I was kind of defiant, it was to a fault and didn't always work out in my best interest. And so I created things that I then needed to cope with and find ways to deal with. And I don't know that I would be as good at my job if I hadn't had adversity in my life. I could have not had adversity in my life. Mm-hmm. And that probably would have been pretty nice. You know, Yeah. all these things that have happened to me as a teenager or as a young adult, they shaped me into being this strong woman. And I wouldn't be able to do my job mm-hmm. without that. What else should you share with a paramedic or a paramedic student? That's so broad. Yeah. You have an audience of paramedics. What's something you've always wanted them to know? That they should not wear their uniform shorts. (laughs) Right? I'm really open about that. There's one medic who wears them all the time, and I'm always like, take those things off. He'll come in now, and he'll be like, you like my shorts? I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're not sexy or because they're not safe? But they're just terrible. They're They're terrible. They're not sexy. And I'm like, you're... Legs are exposed, you know. He's like, "Well, my arms are exposed. You just you look like a clown. You've boots on and these <laughs> shorts, and it's terrible. It's really hot outside. My husband would never wear those things. All ah, right, good point. I wouldn't either. Mm-mm. Nice. No shorts. <laughs> don't let a a bad nurse discourage you. Also, don't let them put a bad taste in your mouth. Where then you just kind of start to feel that way about all nurses we're not all perfect we have bad days just like you do just like the patients do but most of us are pretty cool also we like donuts is it donuts (laughs) is that it like the donuts or is it chocolate or something else we like donuts. I was well, just I like thinking donuts. the other day I was going to bring a treat, but I was like, I don't know what treat. And I tried to, I thought you'd try, you try to be healthy and you get, actually might get a little mad. I mean, you can, no, you can win over a group of nurses with some snacks real quick. We'll eat literally anything you put in that break room. Is it sometimes slow and you guys are truly just sitting there chatting it up? Yeah, sometimes. I almost don't like those days because 
without fail, that happens. And then at 5 a.m., you get a massive trauma or a stroke with a hemorrhagic bleed or like something that you really have to think about. And you're like, well, shit, I don't want to work now. (laughs) I've been doing nothing for the last six hours, you know. What's your favorite patient? A good sepsis patient. That's my you favorite. like that? Yeah. I really get to think. Mm-hmm. And I can see what I'm doing making changes in them. I can see their lab work changing. I can see their lethargy fading, see their temperature going down. There's a lot going on with them. And so you really get to be involved with them. And I really like trauma, but that kind of goes without saying. I think you don't work in that environment if you don't. It's a little bit of a quicker fix. They're in and out to the OR or they're in and out to the ICU. But you get that rush when they come in, carries you through. A good 6 a.m. trauma, you're Mm -hmm. like, whew, my shift's over. None of those images pop back in your brain later, the disfigurement? I have patients that, I don't want to say like haunt me, patients or situations that I can like pull from in the future or that was a really hard patient guy can still like feel how I felt that day taking care of them. None of them have been trauma patients. They're always something different. A mom who lost her baby, a teenager who didn't make it and how their families or their parents feel and what I might say to them. That's the stuff that stays with me. It's more of the human interaction than the physical sight of the patient. I saw the most bizarre thing. I something I'd never seen yesterday. What's that? I told you that the students got to do chest compressions. Mm-hmm. So this guy just kept staying in PEA. Mm-hmm. And they'd been working him for like 45 minutes. And he was older. And they called it. The doc put her hand on him and just started telling him to relax. The patient. I talk to dead people, though, all the time at work. You think that you thought that was weird? Well, I'd never seen it before. I always just kind of thought once the cardiac activity's over, Here's they're the not, last thing to go. I know. That's what they say. I liked it. Don't I do, get me wrong. I do it all the time. Don't get me wrong. I liked it because I thought, we don't know for sure. We think he can't hear. But we, you know, we've been doing compression, so he may have still some level of consciousness. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. I talk to them all the time. I talk to them sometimes while we're coding them. What? Yeah. I've, 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 I've never definitely seen done this. that. You know, had a patient that had kids at home and I'm like you cannot die on me think about your kids at home come on and I'll be like cheering them on almost you can do this you can come back or Uh I know it it kind of seems ridiculous but be able to hear you I think it makes me feel better Uh it's like whatever's in my head this is what I'm thinking so I'm gonna tell you what I'm thinking yeah because I kind of have a habit of doing that anyway doesn't bother me because everybody copes differently but when a patient passes in the ER okay time of death you turn around and it's like a ghost town. Shoop, everybody's gone. They're on to the next thing, which is there are other people out there. I tend to linger. I'm always the last one out of the room. I will pick up every piece of trash off that floor and I'll be talking to them the whole time. I guess I got to clean the room so your family can come back here and they don't have to see this mess that we made. And it's kind of dumb, but it makes me, it's like my coping mechanism. And then I like always say goodbye to them. I like touch them and I'll be like, you know, I'm sorry we couldn't help you, man apologize to them i liked it as a person just being in the room and that's the person who's gonna die someday it felt right and i'd never seen anyone do that i I was interested in how it made other people doing the resuscitation how it might made them feel good at the end when i do it i tend to be by myself when i'm doing it yeah and so i don't know that it really benefits anybody there was a lot of people in the room 
I think that people are have job satisfaction when they have mastery, when they get good at it. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're good at it? Yeah, I feel like I'm good at what I do. I feel like other people recognize that I'm good at what I do. They come to me. But I also don't ever want to be obnoxious about the fact that I think I'm good at what I do. Then that becomes off-putting and people don't feel comfortable asking you anymore. You swing the pendulum in the other direction. Mm -hmm. It's good to acknowledge what you don't know. It's good to also be proud of what you do know. Well, let's let's wind it down unless you have anything else for paramedics. Keep loving what you're doing. And when you don't anymore, it's time to quit. Don't wait until you hate your job because that will be reflected on those that you're caring for. You think you're ever going to quit liking it? Mm, No. I don't think so either. Thank you for all your time. Yeah, it was like so nice to sit here and chat with you. It was. It's a funny way to get to know somebody, but... I know. Now I'm like, you want to go out for coffee? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being willing to do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'd do it again. Do you think your kids are going to get into healthcare? My 14-year-old wants to be a surgeon, and she's pretty pretty consistent with that. Um, She's a little bit lazy, so I'm not sure that she's going to make it. I mean, she doesn't really, my husband says she doesn't know how to use the sink, so how she can be a surgeon. (laughs) But um, she is like really interested in medicine. I think, I mean, it's kind of hard not to be when you live in that environment, and I really love what I do, and I talk about it a lot and I talk about it in such a positive regard that even when I have a bad call I'm like I mean that just makes me better at my job we're a lot alike she's my mini Mm -hmm. and we think alike and she watches videos of people having surgery she was on the playground watching her brothers one day and she was watching a craniotomy she said some kid walked over and was like what are you watching and she was like this is my phone if you don't like it go away you know like (laughs) she's like she's pretty intense I remember when she was maybe five She really wanted this Anatomy of the Human Body book. This is kind of heavy. She's five, but I got it for her. She read that thing like cover to cover and look at the pictures. And she was having a sleepover with her friends one day. And I went in and she had the book open and I looked down at the page and it was like a bunch of sperm swimming across the page. And I was like, and this is mine now. (laughs) 